I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Today's guest is Vincent Gena, and you may have heard of Vincent because he's a world-renowned uh, spiritual teacher and a psychic therapist. And um, I'm not sure I even know what a psychic therapist is, but he wrote to me when we agreed to chat that this is where he combines his psychic abilities, yes, he does have psychic abilities, along with uh, academic credentials. So he really studied psychology and other disciplines and an all-loving approach to really provide healing, if you want, to his client's body, mind, and spirit. He has more than 38 years of training and research, and he has experience in the metaphysical, uh, the psychological, and the spiritual fields that allows him to dive deep into the psyche so that he helps his clients release blockages and self-sabotaging beliefs, if you want, you know, those kinds of beliefs that block you from fulfilling your own dreams. So I am not really sure how this conversation will go because I know that psychics exist. I know I've had some psychic experiences myself, or at least through others that connected me to a world that I may have not expected as the scientist, as the engineer that I uh, tend to view the world from the perspective of. I know the topic might be controversial, but uh, so is, you know, the idea of slow-mo to suspend judgment altogether and go into every angle of life so that we can open up to some of the hidden parts of life, if you want, that would allow us to connect deeply to ourselves through connecting to everything that is possible. Regardless of any doubts, I believe that Vincent is actually doing incredibly, inarguably good work and helping so many people find their best self. So prepare for a very unusual and interesting conversation with Vincent Gena. Until I lost my wonderful child, Ali, I didn't at all believe in what you do. Now I believe it wholeheartedly. I have so many things I would love to share with you. But first, I think it's important to introduce you to our listeners because people need to understand the magnitude of what we're talking about today. So at a very young age, you realize that you can see a little more than the rest of us. Well, I was at 28 years old, so I don't know how young you might be thinking. Some others may be young, like five or six years old, and they walk into their bedroom and they see an angel sitting at the foot of their bed. But that didn't happen to me. That's even more interesting. So you lived a normal life, like all of us believing that those things are hidden. And then by age 28, you start to see the world differently. Can you tell me about this experience? I mean, how did you feel that? It's not that I didn't know this stuff didn't exist. I didn't pay attention to it and I didn't have any training in it, basically other than movies. 
Yeah, exactly. The sixth sense. Yeah, that's it. The exorcist. I was like, oh, my <laughs> be real that, you know, a demon can come into you. And I didn't know, you know, none of that actually really scared me. I'm joking about that. But that's the kind of education that I had. I came from a very small town and it wasn't such a, a great childhood. I was the one that was bullied in school. I was chased almost every day home from school. I, when I was caught, I was beat up. I was shut lockers, my head flushed in toilets, thrown in dumpsters, depanced and stripped and thrown into assemblies in the auditorium for embarrassment, ridiculed every day in school. And then when I got home, life wasn't any safer there because mom had several mental pathologies. She was sexually molested as a child until she was 13 years old. So she used to take that out on my brother and I, and uh, she was very OCD, obsessive compulsive. And if we did anything or if anything was out of place, we used to get beatings all the time. And so I was beat at home. I was beat up in school. And then, of course, we might as well throw in that my babysitter sexually molested me until I was 13 years old. And so did the parish priest. So uh, I come from a very rough background in that way. But what saved me, Mo, what was what was different about my life is I happen to have been a very talented young kid, a singer and an actor. And I had one of those big Italian voices as a very young kid. So I was very drawn into theater and chorus. And every time I performed and I heard this. That was my acceptance. That was the feeling of, okay, uh, they like me. They love me. Mm. Um, So I latched on to that. And I, at a very early age, um, wanted to be a professional entertainer. And I had my first nightclub act at 19 years old. And by 22, I was in the movie Grease, the original movie Grease with John Tavol. No way. Yes, way. Yes, way. I'm watching it tonight. I need to find out. Which character was that? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I wasn't one of the major characters. I was one of the dancers in the ensemble. I'll find you. I'm sending you an image tonight. Okay. Well, I'll send you some pictures so that way you know what I look like 43 <laughs> years ago. Okay. You're going to need to use your... <laughs> Has it been 43 years already? Oh, my God. More than 43. Let's see. I'm 66 now. I did that at 22 years old. So, okay, 42 years. I exaggerated. 44? Yeah, 44. 66 minus 22. Oh, you're right. 44. Oh, my God. Are you just... I added one more year to you your life. Did you see me doing that? My life, Mo. You made me older. <laughs> <laughs> can you believe it's been 44 years ago i mean no i can't believe i'm 66 no less that that i decreased 44 years ago that's crazy right and it's played all the time it is literally played four times minimum every single month all over the world and the greatest thing about that i still get royalties <laughs> do you <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> it's always wonderful getting that check and um and i never found out whether i can air that over to one of my children once i'm out of here you should find a way yeah it becomes part of the estate and i keep getting the check but yes that thing um and it helped me so what happened with that is it became an overnight sensation right we know that 
And that was in 1978. Okay. Well, in 1983, it was my 10 year high school reunion. And that the fame of Greece and the fact that I was in it got around my hometown lickety split all over. I grew <laughs> up on Long Island in a small town, actually got all over New York and Long Island. You know, small town guy gets into big, famous movie. And so I was definitely planning on going to my reunion. You know, <laughs> I was married to my childhood sweetheart. We already had a child. And so I was feeling pretty good. And that, you know, right over here was where that chip was. You know, <laughs> it was a really nice chip on my shoulder because I was going to show them. You know, the guy that you picked on and bullied, hey, look at me. I did something worthwhile, right? Because that makes you feel so small when you're bullied. It makes you feel yeah. worthless. Yeah. Well, it was a crazy event because when I arrived, I didn't know how people were going to receive me. Well, the whole place, there were 350 attendees and all 350 attendees were looking at me when I came in. The girls gathered around me. I'm talking about all of the cheerleaders and jockets and all the girls that picked on me uh, because they picked on me, too. They were all over me. They sat at my table. They wanted me to tell them stories of Hollywood and my experience. So I was it was like a Cinderella story. Okay. <laughs> Rather than Cinderella it was Cinderella. There was one kid who caused the major part of my antagonism. He was the class clown and the super jock. So when you have that combo, boy, do you become famous in school in a very positive way amongst all the other students. And all he had to do is mention my name. He used to go, Vinny. And that was the cue for all the other jocks and kids to start picking on, on me. They would throw books at me, spitball, throw, push me down in the hallway, you know, punch me, throw me, shove me in a locker, some stupid thing, right? And so that was the kid. So now we're at this reunion and he's there. And from across this big hall, all of a sudden you hear him at the top of his lungs yell, Vinny. <laughs> and the rose because they didn't know what this guy was going to do. Was he going to come pick on me? Was he, you know, didn't grow up? What's, what's the problem? So they were like shocked and stunned. And so was I. And there I am with my wife and I'm looking at her and he ran to me. And grabbed me in a hug and lifted me uh, off the ground and wouldn't let me go. It was as if now, now the funny thing is there were never words, not particularly from him, from other people, there were words of, I'm so sorry, I didn't know you, I didn't mean to pick on you. He never once said he was sorry in words, but his hug said it all. And I hugged him back. And it's okay. It's okay. Well, he sat at my table most of the night. He brought over all his jock friends. You got to come over. Vinny is incredibly so funny. Man, you got to talk to this guy. Then he invited us out for breakfast right after the reunion. We're out till three, four o'clock in the morning with all his jock friends. And I'm telling stories and they're laughing. And oh my gosh, we had such a great time. Well, from that point on, he became one of my dearest friends. But what was going on is this was the guy that was so full of you know what. 
because he rented a Porsche to impress everybody at that reunion. And all he would do when anybody asked him, how are you, would brag about how great he's doing at his job and that he married his childhood sweetheart and has three children and has this beautiful condo in Connecticut and oh, blah, 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 blah. And I kept hearing BS, BS. <laughs> but my heart was breaking for him because I was like, this guy has to be hurting so bad in order for him to be BSing like this. What's going on? And after spending a weekend with him, my wife and I, he invited us out to Connecticut. We spent a weekend with him. At that time, we had moved back from California to Long Island. And we're living on Long Island. And on the way home, Mo, I was in tears. I was crying because my heart hurt so much for him. And my wife is like, what is wrong? I said, my God. And I can say his name, Dennis. He has always given me permission to share the story. Dennis, something's wrong with Dennis. I know it. I know it. I know it. His life is falling apart. I just know. And she's like, what are you talking about? He has this great condo. Yeah, but his wife wasn't there. The kids weren't there. Where were they? He said that they were out visiting her mother. I'm like, I don't know. Something is wrong. I just, you know, that guy who, and um, this may have happened to you or not. There's always one guy in high school that when he reaches a certain age, he starts bragging about all the women and the girls in the school that he's there. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And you're just sitting there going, uh-huh. <laughs> they know he's all talk. Mm-hmm. Yes. Some of them are still my friends today. They still text the same things today. <laughs> so that was the thing with him. And so on the way home, while I was crying, I cried out for the first time in my life to God. I never asked God to help me and keep the bullies from picking on me. I didn't do that. But for some reason, this day, I cried out to God not to help Dennis, but to give me the ability to help Dennis. I didn't know how. I was an actor. That's all I cared about, right? I was saying, please, you've got to give me the tools to help him and other people like him. I know what it was like to have your esteem shattered and taken away from you and not believing in yourself and and loathing yourself and hating yourself. I knew what that felt like. And so I cried out for these tools. And you know the adage, Mo, watch what you ask for. (laughs) Yeah, I hadn't learned that then. And within a week's time, Steven Spielberg and Cecil B. DeMille combined together could never create an epic movie the way my life went from that point on. How old were you then? That's how it happened to me. I was 28 years old. And all of a sudden, I'm being introduced to psychics. There are spirits in my house. All this information is pouring into my head. One night, I had to start speaking, and I'm speaking in another voice. I'm trancing. I'm feeling psychic things for people. What's going to happen tomorrow? What they just were going to say. I'm reading their minds. I'm knowing what they did yesterday without having been told that. And all of this is going on within weeks. And thank God my wife had been with me since I was 17 years old because she knew that I didn't know about any of this stuff. I wasn't interested in psychics even while I was living in California because that's where all the loony psychics were, right? They were in California. You know, it was like, yeah, sure, leave me out of that one. And now I'm getting this ability. And that's how it began. And it scared the you know what out of me. 
But my wife believed in me. And though she was scared too, she was pretty scared. We shared it with some family members and they thought I was going crazy or they thought that I was, a, you know, because I was an actor. They said, oh, he's just a drama queen. You know, he's just a drama. I'm like, why would I make this up all of a sudden? That's how it came on to me. That's how I got my abilities. And I fought them for a very long time while that was happening to me, Mo. Tell me about that, because I, I heard, and I'm not sure if that's true. Of course, you know what remote viewing is. I heard there was a study in the U.S. Army where they trained 30 people to do remote viewing. None of them had any qualifications whatsoever. And all 30 of them could perform a degree of remote viewing. Remote viewing is to be able to, for our listeners, is to be able to sense something that you cannot see with your own eyes. Like you see in the movies, they give you a, a handkerchief of someone and you'll say, oh, she's been kidnapped and she went to that place or something like that, right? So it seems that humans have an ability to see more than what we see, but most of us block it. Most of us say, that's impossible. That doesn't even make any sense. I'm not even going to listen to this. And you've been thrown into this. So you had no choice but to accept it somehow. Tell me about that experience. How did you resist it? How did you finally come to accept it? Well, the exact same reason why, even though the government has been working with psychics, psychics, I'm going to say it to everybody, they're psychics. Remote viewers are psychics. Absolutely into their psychic ability. But do you know why they call it remote viewing and they don't attach the word psychic to it? For the exact same reason why I was resistant to it, because the psychic phenomena is not scientific. It is about the soul. It is about our greater connection. And Carl Jung knew this, Sigmund Freud's student, because he realized in his studies that every human being all over the world must be connected to a collective unconscious mind. He even referred to it as it must be the mind of God where all information resides, because you can ask a person in America, what does the word mother mean to you? And they will give you an almost word for word, an exact definition that a person all the way across in Japan would give to you. So he knew that had to be for a special reason. But now you got science and now you've got the government and they don't want anything to do with the woo-woo stuff, right? This isn't woo-woo stuff. This is scientific remote viewing. We can teach people. But you know why you can teach people that? Because we're all intuitive. Now, I knew about intuition, but for the exact same reason that scientists and doctors and the government and all of those people, left brain people and thinkers, did not want anything to do with the psychic ability is the same reason I didn't, because it did have a stigma attached to it. Because why? Because you saw some of those crazy people with the turbans, with crystal balls. That's what you associated with nuts and loonies. Right. And then everybody all over, all over the place. And they started coming out in the modern age and the new age movement and the new age movement blew so many things out of proportion. It didn't make it natural. It didn't normalize it. It actually made it something that was weird and unusual. But you know what? Without intuition, we would have never survived as a species for 11,000 years. We need to be tapped into information. Even John Locke, who was a philosopher at the time of Thomas Jefferson, okay, Thomas Jefferson read a lot of John Locke's philosophies, and they knew that there was something we were connected to because that's how we even wrote the Declaration of Independence. 
talking about our inalienable or unalienable, whatever English you want to use, right. He was referring to the knowledge that we are connected to, knowing the difference between right and wrong, knowing that we were all created equal. So they were saying the exact same thing, that intuitive understanding. Well, it's more than just intuition. It's more than just knowing how to raise a child. It's more than knowing that you need to eat when you're feeling hungry. It's about knowing everything and anything that you want. And you can train someone for that. But one, I wanted to be an actor and everybody was telling me I wasn't going to be doing that anymore. I was going to be a spiritual teacher. No. First, I'm from New York. I'm Italian and I'm arrogant and obstinate, Mo. Okay. I was, that's what I, <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> but that I used to have arguments with her because I was the only child that would correct her. Okay. I would correct my parents when they were wrong. And I was that obstinate. So nobody is going to tell me that I wasn't going to be what I wanted to be. I want an Academy Award. I want a Tony. I want an Emmy. I don't want to be a savior. That was Jesus. Now, <laughs> that is not to say I wasn't close to Jesus and God, because here's the funny part. At 13 years old, usually in New York, and if you're Italian, and if you're a boy, you're required to be an altar boy because your family is Roman uh -huh. Catholic, and it's the greatest pride that a family and a parents can brag about. My son is an altar boy. Yes, he's close to God. Yes, isn't he? That's my son up there in that robe. Yes, right? No, we're in the back eating the host and drinking the wine, and, and the parents <laughs> have no idea about that, right? But I was intrigued with the church, but not with religion. I was arguing with the priests at 13 years old that they were teaching about God and Jesus wrong. Now, I had no idea why I was saying that. And they would ask me, well, what is Jesus and God? Then I said, I don't know, but you're teaching it wrong. I do know that. Now we jump ahead 15 years later, and I'm getting the true understanding. And here's the craziest thing. The way this began for me is a psychic that I had a psychic party one night as a suggestion from a friend of mine because it was going to be so much fun. I had her, okay, come to the house. You have about 10 friends come over. You go into a room with her and she gives you a reading and then the friends come out and they share it and they're all giggly and oh my God, she's so good. She knew all of these things, right? And when I went in, she couldn't even touch me or hold my hand because she said the soul of Jesus is around you you're going to become a spiritual teacher. And I'm like, lady, the only reason why I had you here is to tell me when I'm going to receive my Academy Award and my Tony in Miami. Not that I was going to be a spiritual teacher. She said, no, Jesus is around you. This is your mission. You're awakening now. And that's how it began. And then my curiosity, I went to another psychic who turns around and says, the soul of Jesus is around you. Then I went to another psychic and I went to another psychic. I kept searching them down. Now, I thought that there was a conspiracy amongst all the psychics that they had a union, right? And they would call each other up. But by the way, if you do a reading for Vincent Jenna, just tell him the soul of Jesus is around him, right? I'm like, this is crazy. And then they would all laugh. Huh? It's like, yeah, it's like if you get the Italian boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going crazy. I wasn't even close to laughing myself because they were all saying the same thing. My wife is wondering, and my wife was Jewish. 
And I was Roman Catholic. And back in the 70s, Jews and Roman Catholics did not marry. But we did because we knew we were supposed to. And all we talked about were our similarities and not our differences. And one of the greatest similarities is if you're going to believe in Jesus at all, guess what? He was Jewish. Hello. <laughs> and like, we turned him into something else. So that's, that's how that began. And so that was so difficult for me to accept now. Now I'm going to supposed to be going around teaching all the words that are coming out of me and I'm supposed to leave my career. So I kept fighting it, but I kept researching and I kept studying. I was directed to education material and I would go and I would study that and understand that he went through this and that all these normal people. One day I'm watching Oprah Winfrey's show because I'm home taking care of the baby. My wife worked in Manhattan and she has Shirley MacLaine on, a star, the actress. Mm -hmm. And Shirley MacLaine had just written the book out on a limb and she came out of the spiritual closet to talk about her spiritual and metaphysical and paranormal experiences. And she's sharing similar things that I went through. And I'm like, this is a star saying that, oh my God, this is normal. Something else is going on here. So I kept talking and talking and asking and asking God, you got to let me know what's going on here, what's going on. And, and I kept being introduced to people. I had a doctor's appointment one day and all of a sudden the woman, my wife was with me and a woman next to us starts a conversation and we start talking about coincidences and she turns around and she says, you know, there's no such thing as coincidences. And she starts a spiritual conversation with me out of the clear blue. I've never had that before and starts talking about paranormal stuff and spiritual. And I'm like with my wife, what is going on here? What started that conversation? And she was the one that directed me to the Eggy Casey material. But all through the readings that I received, I was told I will constantly be guided to the right help. And I will constantly be meeting the people to help get me in the direction that I'm going. Eventually, I started to do be a part-time psychic. Part-time. <laughs> I want to continue the journey, but I want you to describe to me what is the world that you see? Like, am I allowed to curse on this show? Absolutely. Look, I've heard you a million times before and I know your work. Let our listeners understand how far different what you see is from what we restrict ourselves to seeing. So go ahead, curse away. Actually, I'm going to use very psychic medium terms to describe what's going on in the world today. We are so up. It's unbelievable. Oh, amen, my friend. We are totally And smart. the reason why we are so f***ed up, Mo, is we've completely forgotten who we are. And the moment you forget who you are, you're detaching yourself from your higher self, the source of everything. You want to call it God? Call it God. But the point is, the way we were created was this intelligence, this power, this omnipotent source and force divided itself into us, which is why we are co-creators or created in its image. We are God. We are God. Now, some people are so afraid to think of that because they think of horrible narcissists from the past or even going back to Egypt where people thought they were God. But pharaohs 
And people back then, since we weren't so far removed from our creation year, they had an understanding that we were God. But then the low people that didn't have money, but they were like, well, we can't be God because look at where we are. But look at that man over there and his family and how rich they are. They must be God. And that's how the concept of a pharaoh was created. And meanwhile, they made kings because there was an understanding deep down inside of us that there is a higher part of us. But then we misunderstood and misinterpreted it and thought that, well, it must be one person instead of everybody is God. So again, forgetting who you are connected to that higher source, but you're constantly being fed some kind of information, what gets diluted and convoluted is your experiences that cause the filtration system to mess up the message that's coming from your soul, the understanding that we're all special, we're all divine. And that comes from your stories and how you were raised in the situation. And we were messed up for such a long time all the way back then. People have to understand that the lives that they are seeing and the history that is being written about is only one existence of lifetime on this planet. There were other existences. There was Lemuria. For lack of a better word, that's what people have been told and that's what they've written about. When we first incarnate or came down to this planet without actually incarnating here and we were androgynous beings. Then the next lifetime was Atlantis. Okay, you've heard of Atlantis. Well, the lifetime from Adam and Eve was completely different from then. And the history and the stories in the Bible are to help us try to understand who we are and what went wrong. Help me understand here, because I've been actually talking about this to a friend recently. So are you saying these are different let's call them physical incarnations. So Atlantis was not on this dimension, not on this planet. It was us in another dimension, our souls in another dimension. It was us here at a totally different time period, not in a different dimension. It was this dimension. Everything took place on this planet for us anyway. Remember, there are other universes at the time we were created, there was nothing physical. There was no universes. It was just spirits and energy. And that's actually in our Bible. It's one sentence that actually says we existed before the planets. But they removed all the other sentences because they didn't want you to know that. You know that this is by definition what quantum physics says. I know, exactly. So the, the exactly. core of physics says we existed before the planets. Of course, we existed before the planets and then co-creator with spirit, because now we're part of it. We created all the universes. Now, why did we create the universes? Okay, think of the image of the sun for a moment. And that as the one God, the one source that there was at the time. And now it wants to create us. So it divides itself into, let's say, a hundred little suns, but it's still all together. Now, as long as those hundred suns stay together like that, all you see is one big light, right? They don't get to see their own little light. But the intelligence knew it was important for us to experience our own light. So in order to do that, we had to go somewhere. We had to leave the oneness. And so the universes were created. 
And each group said, I'm going to go over here to this universe. And another group said, well, I'm going to go over here. We'll go over here to this universe. This is cool over here. Well, we'll go down here. And then another group even said, well, you know what? You guys go. We're going to stay behind and hang behind and watch over all of you. And if you need any help, we'll be here. Call upon us. Guess what their names are? Angels. The angels and the archangels decided to hang behind. And in different cultures, your culture, they may be referred to as a different name. Eastern world culture refers to them in a different name. Western world culture refers to them as angels. But in any case, they were our brothers and sisters who decided to hang behind. They keep evolving and we keep experiencing. And now when we come back together, they get to live vicariously through us and share the same experiences. So they didn't have to go. So we go, now we choose Earth, and we come down to Earth to experience our own lights. So yes, we came down first without physical form, and that's in Lemuria. And we lived through Lemuria for a while, and we are enjoying the things on the planet, just like when you go to Disneyland or Disney World, you enjoy all the the sights and the activities and adventures and the shows, right? And you have a great time and you keep going back and forth, but you come down and everything is peaceful. Everything is wonderful. Then all of a sudden we start wanting more. We start knowing, hmm, something is telling me that there is more to life than this. There is more. So the intuition and the knowledge that we were sharing from the divine was letting us know that was there was more. And we got so caught up in the planet itself, we incarnated here and we weren't supposed to. We weren't supposed to move here. We weren't supposed to become physical and become part of the planet. Who moves to Disney World just because they love it? You don't move. <laughs> you go, you visit, you go home. But we got so caught up up in the creatures and the planet and the beauty that the energy of the earth and our childish growth and maturity drew us closer 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 we were looking at a toys r us store without any adult <laughs> vision and we got sucked into the planet and now if we were going to be sucked into the planet we had to find a way to be here and that's when we created the body now here's where we wind up going astray. The story of Atlantis was removed from the Bible, again, because they just wanted you to believe, the religious leaders wanted you to believe that it started with Adam and Eve, and that's how God created them. But if you read the original Bible, it says that Adam was the first son of man. It doesn't say Adam was the first son of God. It says Adam was the first son of man. And so we come down here and we started screwing things up because we wanted to know what we knew before we were capable of handling it. So all the information, that's the idea of Eve eating the apple of the tree of knowledge. Eve represents the intuition. Adam represents the left brain thinking and the reasoning. So our intuition was letting us know there is more that we know, that we don't know we know. And she opened, shall we say, Pandora's box way before we could handle it. So now besides experiencing happiness and joy and peace and harmony, we also started experiencing the concept of grief and loss and anger and hate and sorrow. 
and we couldn't handle those feelings. And that's what caused us to forget that we were divine beings. Now we started thinking, well, maybe we're bad. Well, maybe we're evil. Maybe we're no good. And God was like, I told you I didn't want you to go there before you were able to understand. Oh, my gosh, now I'm going to lose you. And that's how we lost the Garden of Eden, which is the story. And that's why we are where we are today, because we have still forgotten. And even though we keep trying, Mo, and there's shows like yours, and there's all these wonderful books and a plethora of self-help spiritual books and wisdom and enlightenment, but it's not working. And I actually just wrote a book that's being published. It's going to be coming out at the beginning of March called God, It's Not Working. And it's all about <laughs> that. It's all about how we keep trying and it's not working because we don't know who we are. I love the title. I totally love the title. And it is not working. Oh, I'm so glad. It is not working. So, so it's not working because... In a very interesting way, I use, I use video game analogies, if you allow me, Vincent. So I, you know, when you're, you're holding the controller and that avatar on the screen is so engaged, it's so engaged in the game, right? It's jumping over obstacles, it's, you know, shooting enemies, it's avoiding bullets, but it's not you. It's not you. You're out there holding the controller. And if you, for one minute, forget the game and actually realize that the whole game is not even there you know it's one experience of a million experiences you can have as this person sitting on the sofa right and we're unable to break out of it and i don't say that you know i try to teach what i know but i don't know much right and somehow every one of us including myself who completely recognize this analogy i still get engaged in my business and fight for that deal because i'm still occupied in the game right oh absolutely just like kid we are con completely controlled. We would love to think we're adults in the world. We love to think that we're these big people with these great minds. But you know what screws us up? The little kid inside of us that's still there from that story, that little kid who's believing we're not good enough, that little kid who's believing we're supposed to have fun. Now, here's what's really funny. Um, it was Sigmund Freud who started the real study of psychiatry and psychology, right? And he discovers the ego and he defines that little child actually as the id and the ego and the super ego is that we have a soul which tells us the good things to do. And then we have an id which tells us the things that get us immediate gratification, right? And the ego has to choose between the two. But it really is, yes, our soul within us but also the little kid too. What do little kids want instantaneously? They want gratification. They want that cookie now. They don't want it when after dinner and I got to eat dinner first. They want to play the video game now. I don't want to wait until I do my homework. And why do I have to do my homework? We are children. We are still children, but we'd love to think we're grownups. Don't all kids think that they're smarter than their parents or that they know everything that they need to know and we as the adults know they don't? That's exactly how we're acting. And I love your, your metaphor with the video game because that's what we want to do. We want to play at life because at one aspect, we're in the video game thinking that I have to battle this person over here in order for me to win the prize over here. And all I want to do is win the prize, win the prize, win the prize, win the prize. Okay. You know, what's really funny. After you win the prize in the video game, what happens next? Another level. Yeah, exactly. Or you throw the game away. 
right? It's useless. It's boring. It's not. So we want that instant attention we're acting. And if you look at the adults today, the way they're acting, look at our country alone in the United States is because we're supposed to be the example to the rest of the world. Well, let's use us as the example to the rest of the world. What did we see, be it in January with the insurrection on the Capitol or the way or people going and shooting the mass shootings that have been going on like crazy? They are a bunch of little kids having temper tantrums. They're standing on, look at me, I'm the big bully here, and you got to listen to me. I'm like, those aren't adults. That's not an adult, the way an adult. So we are so, our humanness is so immature that it's overriding our divinity and greatness, which is in the soul. But that's what free will is about. The soul, now here's, here is the problem that people do not like to hear from me. Neither God nor the angels, whatever you want to call them, nor your deceased loved ones, nor anybody on the other side, nor your soul can intercede. None of them. So everybody prays to God for help. It turns around and says, I've already given you everything you need. Oh, I love this. You see, that power and source is on constantly. The only reason why prayer works is not because God is answering it. It's because you're focusing your intention. What was my intention when I was younger? I wanted to help my friend. It wasn't God who gave me the ability. It was finally me focusing my intention that opened it up within me. Now, that's not to say that all of those in spirit aren't rooting for us and aren't saying, turn to your intuition, turn to your intuition, or don't go there today, don't go there today, or do you really think you should go out with him? They're always whispering in our ears, just like our friends here tell us and our family here, they give us guidance all the time. So we receive guidance and reminders all the time of who we are, but it cannot, God cannot make anything happen anymore because it's us. We're making the things happen. I love this. We love are the diseases. Okay, so we're going to have to stop here right now. I think uh, we all knew at the beginning of this conversation that Vincent and I are going to be talking for more than one part. So if you have the time to continue to follow us to part two, come right away. The conversation continues to become even more and more interesting. And um, while you're at it, uh, please remember, if you've enjoyed this so far, to share it with others and tell your friends about it. Maybe post quickly about it on social media or rate it a five stars on your podcast player. I'm very grateful that you spent this time with us so far and I'll wait for you in part two. See you there.